Hello everybody, this is Curtis from Tremble letting you know that we are brought to you by Shudder. Shudder is the horror movie streaming service that brings you all the latest and greatest that horror has to offer. But you don't have to take my word for it. You can use TremblePod, that's T-R-E-M-B-L-E-P-O-D, when you sign up for an account. This will give you a free 30-day trial on us, so you can check it out for yourself. With that said, let's get on with this week's episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Tremble, the horror movie podcast. I'm your host, Curtis. With me, as always, is Steven Taylor. How are you two doing? Doing well. Yeah, yeah. pretty good. And uh, we have a special guest this week. To talk about Day of the Dead, we actually brought on a qualified zombie expert, Dr. Arnold T. Blumberg. Arnold, how are you doing today? Doing okay. It's great to join you guys. Thanks for asking me. Yeah, I, it was one of those rare cases where I'm just going through Twitter and, I, you know, you come across people's profile and you're like, oh, this person seems interesting. I came across yours and it was yours and it was just like zombie expert. I'm like, oh, I got to pick this guy's brain. Like, we have to talk to him about a zombie movie, right? So uh, glad you could join us. Uh, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and like your kind of background of what you do day to day? not a lot of zombie stuff day to day but uh <laughs> the zombie expert thing kind of got applied to me it was it was a whole sequence of events i wrote one of the very first books that tried to uh do like a guide to zombie cinema i wrote it with a friend andy hirschberger and um it was called zombie mania and it was one of the earliest books that really tried to like comprehensively cover everything and then that was back around 2006 right it's like the wave of post 9 11 28 Days Later, Dawn of the Dead remake, that whole modern resurgence was happening. So we were kind of riding that wave. And then I pitched one of my alma maters, University of Baltimore, on teaching a course in zombies in popular media as part of their media literacy program. And I started teaching that literally the fall of 2010 when The Walking Dead started running on AMC. Oh, wow. So... It was great timing. So I was teaching that class one week, and the very next week I was in every paper in the world for like a week or two. And and a lot of them, as you might expect, the usual kind of thing of, is this what our tax dollars are going to, teaching oh. zombies? And then I had to educate all of them. But that's the <laughs> <laughs> um, And then it just kind of grew from there. And over the years I've done a podcast called Doctor of the Dead. I'm now doing a podcast with my wife called Ghouls in the House where we've kind of expanded to any kind of horror, sometimes science fiction and uh, chatting about stuff. But the zombie thing is kind of stuck. And uh, I also run a small press called ATB Publishing, where we do books on all kinds of pop culture, from Doctor Who to comics to zombies, all nonfiction. And um, probably a few other things, but yeah. That's awesome. It's so great, too, that like you mentioned the media literacy, because I think, you know, it's obvious that so many people like to take uh, take in this kind of media, especially horror and all this stuff. But to actually go out and educate uh, ourselves past just the casual watching we do, uh, I think it just kind of enriches the experience and just makes us all a little bit more aware of everything. Like, I didn't even know there was a post-9-11 zombie craze. Like, that's insane. Um, but that's awesome, nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, the media literacy thing is a major like driving force for me about a lot of things I did. I came out of like 20, 25 years in the comic book industry uh, as an editor and, and publisher there and taught comic book literature as well. So it's very important 
like teach kids actually much younger should be teaching much younger than college but teaching kids how to look through the things that they already enjoy and are familiar with and comfortable with but also learn how to decode it and how to understand what they're experiencing and so that's a big part of it that's awesome well we're gonna have to pick your brain on this week's uh movie choice which is day of the dead uh, a romero zombie movie one of the many romero zombie movies uh, Arnold, would you say this is one of your favorites in terms of Romero's zombie movies? It has, it has become one. It's, uh, it's a great one to pick. When you were giving me like some of the ideas of what we talk about, I thought, oh, yeah, definitely we'll talk Day of the Dead. It's like the capper on his original trilogy mm-hmm. and uh, used to get, I think, a lot of flack for being the third of three in many ways. But I think it's, I think it's settled in more in a lot of people's estimation. And I've grown to like it more and more over the years as I've revisited it. And I think it's a really solid movie for a lot of reasons we'll probably talk about. So definitely a favorite. It definitely gets more love now um, than it did uh, even like 10, 15 years after it came out. I, I, I think it was like people just thought it was so bleak. Like comparably to Night of the Living Dead, which has kind of like an end where they get saved and everything, right? Or Dawn of the Dead, which almost has like slapstick like moments within it. Mm. Day of the Dead has none of that, and it's yeah. just dour and dark and 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 really insidious because it gets into like the whole like the effect on the human psyche. I think that's what's one of the most fascinating. I think it just took a long time for it to reach that level of appreciation from like a, a mass audience mm-hmm. i would argue too like if you're comparing bub to a character like tarman like there's a sense of tragedy to bub whereas with tarman mm-hmm. it's like oh this is just a frightening ghoul that's chasing people around but bub has so much going on for him far more than tarman or any other kind of like characterized zombie that's above the the horde of zombies that you see in the movie yeah, depending on whether he's credited as Sherman Howard or Howard Sherman, because he, he'd swap <laughs> his name around from time to time. Um, his performance as Bub is is one of the single greatest acting jobs in any zombie movie ever. It's just a beautiful thing to watch. And he's mm-hmm. he's arguably one of the most human characters in the genre. And, I mean, that says a lot, you know, put, putting him up against all the humans in the story. He is the mo- the character you can have the most empathy for. 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but what is Day of the Dead actually about? In case you don't know, which you probably should be if you're listening to this. But the official summary, sent to a secret underground facility to work on a solution to the zombie problem, a small team of scientists, civilians, and trigger-happy soldiers battle desperately to ensure the survival of the human race but tension inside the base is reaching breaking point and the zombies are gathering outside i should mention too that arnold you cleaned up this synopsis because you said that the one that uh, i pulled off the internet was a little little not oh yeah it's okay but yeah no the the one that you had said missile silo and i don't know where they got that from but but yeah they're, they're actually they're supposed for all intents and purposes they're supposed to be quite literally where they actually shot the film because they shot it in the wampum salt mines in pennsylvania which is genuinely used as a place for storing like old business records and 
and tape and all kinds of things because of the the environment of that. And they're that's supposed to be actually where they've pretty much built this like survival facility for the scientists to work on their projects. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it makes for such a great location too because it almost kind of gave me Assault on Precinct Thirteen vibes, where you sort of have this mm -hmm. like built-in location, but you also have the exterior threat. I always kind of like that in movies because it kind of just gives you this like really like just built-in tension without you having to really do much work in the way of plot to set it up like, oh, this is going to be frightening and full attention. Like immediately you're like, okay, there's zombies outside. We got to try to protect what's inside. Simple. Like there's a very clear uh, conflict and tension there. It's a fantastic location for a zombie movie and a great building on like one of Romero's standard tricks of you know pile everybody into an enclosed space i mean granted it's a large enclosed space but we've gone from the farmhouse in night to the mall in dawn to the mine in day and yet you still feel completely partly because it's underground also you really feel like in trapped and enclosed in that mm -hmm. um so let's get to the first time we watched this arnold Bloom, do you remember the first time you watched this movie not really. I mean, <laughs> I, I can't I can't think of when that I mean, it probably would have been on cable in the early 90s, I guess, because I'm thinking I remember like a lot of the movies in the mid 80s. I would have seen the TV commercials, you know, the real heavily edited, like, you know, 20 second things that I think they used to show like the calendar shot of the arms coming out of the wall. And yes. that was it. Um, I, I probably saw that and and thought oh that looks interesting and that, that was my reaction to a lot of the zombie stuff at the time but i do not know at all when it was that i finally saw this it's one of those ones that's always felt like it's been in my memory as a movie i've seen yeah i definitely think there's something to be said for like watching movies on cable back in the day like that's where i ended up watching a lot of horror movies just because you know you can maybe bypass the parents a little bit, or at least I could at that age, where you're like, yeah, I'm watching uh, Doug or something on TV. And, uh, <laughs> secretly, I'm switching between Doug and Day of the Dead or some other movie like that. So, um, <laughs> You just got your finger on the channel change back button, honestly, basically. <laughs> that was a skill back when you were a kid in the 90s. Mm -hmm. Like You had to be able to switch back to convince your parents you were not watching something else. So, um, But yeah. I'm pretty sure that's how I saw Day of the Dead as well. It was during like some zombie marathon. I watched it, but I, I mean, at the time, I would have probably been around 10 or 11. I think most of the nuance of this movie was completely lost on me. I got bored halfway through. Uh, and the funny enough, I hadn't watched it between then and now. So this was my first rewatch. And I mean, now that I watched it again, I'm like, Okay, I could totally see how an 11-year-old me would be bored by this movie, but it it's so much better now watching it again as an adult, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this movie's actually really good, especially the gore effects. I think the gore effects have really held up well. So, mm -hmm. yeah. the, the channel change back stuff also just reminds me of uh, uh, when you were on cable and you were watching a scary movie and it got to a really scary part. You could put it in picture in picture view so that you didn't have to like completely change away from the channel, but you yeah. were like still kind of watching it. Yeah. Oh, memories. You're like, I'm brave, but not, <laughs> not that brave. No, no. Uh, what about you, Steve? When did you first watch day of the dead? 
Uh, this is definitely through my first uh, dead run through because um, my aunt had all these VHSs. So I definitely watched Night and Dawn. And I just I remember being like just in the first 10 minutes of day. And I knew that this was just such a different beast. I mean, yeah, you go from the calendar on the wall and the arms shooting through to the zombies at the the fence in... And it was just, I'd never seen anything like it before. Because mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I hadn't been exposed to Hellraiser or anything yet at this point. Um, and yeah, it was like, those effects, I was just like, what am I watching? Like, this is so different now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember really liking it the first time I saw it, too. Uh, and I, I mean, it definitely, it, it definitely goes down to um, um, uh, Rhodes' death. <laughs> is the thing that really like yeah that put the nail in it for me that's definitely one of my favorites mm-hmm. oh there's so many great kills in this that mm-hmm. tom savini special effects just really accentuate and really just make them pop out <laughs> in more ways than one i still think this is this is all these years later it's 1985 and i still think this is the pinnacle mm-hmm. of practical makeup effects in almost probably almost any horror movie but certainly in any zombie movie mm-hmm. and there i mean you know there's the argument about cgi i mean nothing can really live up to the practical stuff when it's done well but like the the work in this is astounding every time and i've seen this one a lot more often over the last few years but like there's a one shot toward the end where the zombies tear one of the guys apart and pull his head off and once yeah. you've seen it a few times you know already that from the moment that shot begins, that's an animatronic head. Like, you, it's never him in this one specific shot. But because they never cut away, and they reach down, and one of them was, like, supposed to reach down and pull him, like, by the eyes and pull the head, and the mouth is still moving because it's all being puppeteered while they're doing it, it's still, every time I see it, it throws me completely because it doesn't look like it's fake until the moment you realize it has to be. Mm-hmm. And and he looks like a real person laying there. It's an amazing piece of work, mm-hmm. and the just, just stunning effects in this movie all the way through. There's like such little subtle nuances too, like when uh, Rose is getting ripped apart. Like at one point, his eye pops out, and I'm like, okay, that wasn't even necessary, but I'm not complaining at all. I mean, it's fantastic. <laughs> you 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 would have to think that this movie is the catalyst for all the effects people to come. To, to kind of like be the next generation after Savini. I mean, Nicotero was still um, fl- like kind of starting out as well in this time. And it, it's like, this is another like benchmark movie that kind of uh, forged the future. I mean, give you your Todd Masters and all the all these other guys that do gore, gore effects now and everything. Mm-hmm. And it was all like lent to Savini, Nicotero, and uh, I mean, just because I just watched Dead and Buried recently, Stan Winston as well as another yeah. huge piece too. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Oh, Dead and Buried! I can't wait to talk about that movie. Oh, I'm 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 such a nerd for that movie. Um, I haven't seen that in years, but I keep saying that we have to watch that because she hasn't seen it, and it's just one of the truly great overlooked, like EC Comics esque kind of zombie movies a really good one yeah and uh you get to see grandpa joe turn full villain and it's just (laughs) like 
you you know of him from Willy Wonka, but then to see him just be so utterly terrifying, you're like, what is yeah. going on? It's it's great for people who haven't watched uh, the movie. Like I know uh, my girlfriend at the time watched it with me, and she's like, "Why is Grandpa Joe just being so menacing?" And I'm like, "Oh, that's just the fun of this movie." Mm-hmm. I also grew up with him as one of the leads on the '70s sitcom Chico and the Man. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a, a highly inappropriate show by today <laughs> by anybody's standards. But but uh, but that was the thing that and Willy Wonka, and it's like all of a sudden there he is, dead and buried. It's like Oof. yeah, and giving like everything in like a final performance too. Like he yeah. had he was, it was great. like the last of his energy because he was just ravished by cancer at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, Taylor, what was the first time you watched this movie? I watched this movie for the podcast. So just in the last week, um, I feel like I had the same experience as maybe Kurt's first time watching it, unfortunately, but kind of like, um, Arnold was talking about earlier, this is definitely a movie that grows on you. I don't think you can quite get everything about this movie just from one casual watch through it the first time. I think you Mm. have to really sit down and pay attention to the characters and kind of be invested in the world. And um, it's, it's just really cool. It's cool to have this, especially as the third one in the series and looking at what are people doing after the zombie apocalypse has already been established and it's already happened. And now we're trying to clean up or research and figure shit out and see how that affects different people and the military (laughs) and things like that um there's just so many themes and things that happen in this movie that i think yeah if it's kind of a bigger movie than you realize going into it and Mm -hmm. if you just kind of sit down and casually take it in uh i don't i think you're gonna miss a lot of stuff Mm -hmm. um yeah yeah that was that was my first experience with this movie and i feel like this is one that i'm gonna go back to even because i i ended up watching it twice um and i I might even go back to it uh, another time and I, I think that's totally, spot on. Yeah. And I could totally see too, like there are movies like return of the living dead or even the other movie we're going to talk about later night of the comet. They're a little bit more, I guess, traditionally entertaining. I don't want to say that as like a reflection on quality of this one. Cause I think this movie is still really good, but this movie definitely as Steve mentioned is like a lot more dour. And I think mm-hmm. it, it's just, it takes a little bit of a repeat viewing and maybe just like, once you kind of know things like you're picking up on other things and to fully kind of take away the best value out of this movie. Mm-hmm. I also think that besides like growing on you, I think it's worth noting that and I'm not necessarily going to get, well, maybe give it a little bit of credit for being potentially ahead of its time, not maybe deliberately so, but I think it just kind of happened. But I feel like this movie benefits from looking back on it now and that it's matured into something that, has even more resonance today because for example like some of the most potent stuff in this is all the the clashes between the human characters right mm-hmm. and Rhodes couldn't possibly be a more perfect textbook example of toxic masculinity <laughs> if, you, if you wrote it deliberately this guy is just every bit of that he is so fragile and so desperately afraid of lack of control and power and Lori Cardiel Sarah is a great character as like a woman who's trapped in this horrible situation. And they even like warn her at one point, you know, it's like, you got to be careful around this guy. 
Yeah. There's a lot going on here that feels a lot more uh, direct and clear in 2022 than it did in mm -hmm. 1985. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's there's something way more pointed about Romero's approach to this story. It takes away the filter of being kind of satirical or anything like that, like like Don had going for it, mm -hmm. and. It, it wears everything really out on its sleeve, especially sociopolitically and everything. Mm. And I mean, you have essentially what is supposed to be the protectors in the old world, this military, which is supposed to be they're They're supposed to be keep you safe, but they're like essentially the villains of this whole thing. And I mean, it turns everything on its head and. I think that's a lot of what people didn't get in the mid '80s. Mm -hmm. They just they they didn't get what the movie was trying to say, and rather just looked at it as just kind of a schlock gore fest. And it it really that's just like an element that's part of the puzzle. It, it it's not it, it's not yeah. its whole thing by any means. Well, you think about the fact that in the mid '80s, you know, and I'm and of course at that point for me, I'm at that point. What am I like mid '80s? I'm like 13, 14, something around there. And all the movies we were getting was like one of my favorites for the time is Arnold Schwarzenegger and Commando and, <laughs> you know, Stallone's doing Rambo movies. And, you know, occasionally there was some nuance to it. Usually the nuance was, oh, they desperately want to be out and have a normal life. But it's not anti-military. It's just that they want peace, you know, like internal peace. And they're always coming back for one more mission. But they're very much the heroes. And then all of a sudden, at the same time, this movie comes out and everybody in, in Drab Olive Green is a monster. And yeah. it must have been quite a shock to a lot of people to think, wait a minute, aren't these supposed to be the heroes? And it's like, no, no, they're the worst. <laughs> so, you know, it's odd timing for it, too, to be yeah. one of the movies that tries to say that. Yeah. All right. Uh, we do have a couple emails about this movie. Uh, mm. listeners. Uh, Jordan says, it seems like people either love this movie or feverishly hate it. Why do you think the film is so divisive? I think we kind of touched on that a little bit already, but yeah. I've yeah. never experienced the feverish hate on it. Me neither. I, I, yeah. yeah. That seems a little bit extreme to me. Yeah, maybe ambivalence to it, but not like, mm -hmm. I hate that movie. I have never heard I hate that movie. I from a horror fan people think it's the most like they consider it disappointing after night and dawn i don't agree with that but i mean yeah. that's what i would hear does doesn't it feel like natural like kind of a natural progression that this is like i think we've already kind of basically talked about that but this finally feels like where it's going like because mm -hmm. the the whole story is the mindset of this new element you've introduced into uh, in, into a natural world, you know what I mean? The the Night of the Living Dead is kind of like the immediate reactive thing. Uh, Dawn of the Dead is kind of like you're just kind of surviving within this world and everything. Uh, of course, with the where are you going to hole up type thing. And then Day of the Dead's almost like we're dealing with it and we're trying to glean some sort of understanding from it. Oh my God, I just thought about the fact, can you imagine now, I haven't spent any time thinking about it, but it just occurred to me what a perfect thing it would be to map this movie now onto pandemic response. Mm, yeah. And I mean, and again, see, that's the media literacy thing. Like one of the things I often try to explain to students is that whether deliberately or not, 
every piece of media can be applied to the present day as well as to the time it was made. It doesn't have to have been intentional. You, you can find ways. And sometimes it, it doesn't work well, like it's not everything. But this one, you know, when you think about, you know, the way Rose's people are behaving, the scientists who are desperately trying to figure out a solution but can't seem to agree on what that solution is or how to implement it, there's a lot of stuff in this movie that's painfully familiar. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that would be interesting to go through. It seems like I'm looking at Letterboxd and I'm looking at some of like the lowest rated reviews. And like, there are some common complaints about stuff like the dialogue being too shout heavy, which I didn't <laughs> think it was like that bad. I'm like, Rhodes oh. does yell a lot. Yeah. It's also like, it's the zombie apocalypse. Yeah. You maybe weren't yelling a bit more than whispering, you know, like, uh, so I don't know. It's a little lost on me. I mean, uh, I don't know why people would be giving movies one and a half out of five because there's a lot of shouting. But hey, you know what? That's why we have Letterboxd. It's a de de democracy for the people, I guess. I, I did see some lower, because I looked through some reviews earlier too, and I did see some reviews specifically talking about how people disliked how this movie was more human-to-human -human conflict and less human-to-zombie conflict. Like, there was still, obviously, a lot of zombie fighting, mm -hmm. but it wasn't, like, the, the backbone of the movie. The backbone of this movie is human-to-human -human interactions mm -hmm. and how people deal with that and, you know, how different types of people think different ways and things like that, and less so about, you know, just pure zombie carnage, which mm -hmm. maybe some people were expecting from this movie more so, so. Yeah. 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 And they hold off on a lot of that until like the big finale, and then mm -hmm. they yeah. just give mm -hmm. up the, they just let it all out right at the end there. Which is funny because like there's so many movies like I know when we watched uh, Twenty Eight Days Later, uh, mm. that one like yeah there's zombies but there's a lot of human interaction in that particularly mm -hmm. with the subplot of them coming across that the uh, the group there. So mm -hmm. I'm like, uh, if you thought that was bad, I mean, there's a lot of other zombie movies where there's a lot more of a human element. It's not again all... military liberties yeah. of just yes. there's there's a lawlessness, so oh, we yeah. can kind of operate in our own gray area and do whatever we want. Mm -hmm. I will say the one thing that over the years I used to be pretty negative about on Day of the Dead, but have changed is I used to think the musical score was the worst of the three, mm. uh, if I were comparing, and didn't care for the music too much. I've changed my mind about that in recent years. I've gotten, I've seen it quite a bit more in the last few years. I kind of got into it, what they were trying to do with that more, and I've actually grown to really like certain aspects of it, and I think it was just, like you were saying a bit about the change in tone, too, being jarring for people that came from the other two. I think mm. I was caring too much instead mm. of just looking at this for what it is. So I've changed my mind about the music. I think it, it works really well in the context of the movie, too. Well, it's definitely a long, far away from the Monroeville Follies that we get oh, in, yeah, yeah, in Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have another email. Kaylee says, I love the lived-in feel of this world. Yeah, mm -hmm. agreed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's grimy. It, it It's weathered, and, and it's and there's nothing new anymore. You know, they're kind of 
resting on the bones of an old civilization at this point. Like it's yeah. it's yeah, like I think that's what adds to the grim atmosphere of the film for sure. And part of it goes back to what we were saying earlier, which is that the location they picked was already like, I mean, that's actually mm -hmm. just that place. Mm -hmm. They barely had to do any kind of set dressing for a lot of the things. So that's what that place looks like. It's great. Was it decommissioned as well? Like, no, it was... it's still, it was still, it's still an act of use. I think oh, it's wow. still being used today. I that's mean, like, amazing. like, Remember, there's that part where he does the whole speech about, you know, look what they've got down here, mm -hmm. all the, you know, the records of all the top 500 companies. And that's all true. You know, mm -hmm. like the negatives of all your favorite films. That's all what they have there. I'm not sure. I think it's still active. I can actually check while we're doing this. I also like mm -hmm. the fact, by the way, in terms of lived in look, I like that Dr. Logan literally never takes off his just blood soap. Yeah. All yeah. the time. <laughs> He just doesn't care. He just walks around. There's no, there's no reason to get clean anymore. There's <laughs> no, no reason yet. to, there's no reason to even stop working. Like there's no off time for him whatsoever. No. Yeah. It's just, it, that's, that's life. Life is, tw is 24 seven, uh, working in my lab until I pass out. The, the so zombie the apocalypse way, is like his dream come true. He finally gets yeah. to be a mad scientist. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. That's right. It's everything he ever hoped for. Yeah, without morals way, and without constraints. <laughs> for anybody who's a fan and would love to see this, and I'm looking at it right now, and it's awesome because they run a video right the second you come to it. The Wampum Underground has its own website, wampumunderground.com, W-A-M-P-U-M underground.com. They are still active. They provide leasing of space, vehicle storage, third-party logistics. They have tours. Um, it looks exactly the same in some places as it oh always did. Uh, and like they show like boardrooms, you can have secret company meetings if you want, where like <laughs> wow. three of the walls are built walls, but then that fourth wall is just the salt wall, you know? So oh it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. That's awesome. And that's, I, um, there's that's Pennsylvania. There's this, um, I, it's either a Twitter account or an Instagram account, but it's um, a, a guy that goes around and goes to the real locations of places and then yeah. holds up the film frame in front yeah. of it so it almost looks exactly. Someone should do that to the Wampum one because that would be, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Maybe I, I just need that road scene. Just get to that hallway. <laughs> Maybe they uh, have the the negatives for uh friday the 13th part seven so we can find <laughs> those are being contested in court right now i believe yeah i think we're close to an agreement though it's what sean cunningham's in his mid-70s now so like get it well, done i think they decided that they both uh basically have different sets of rights but they have to work together on something which i don't know if that'll ever happen but yeah come on lebron miller won he won the rights back to the first film script but it yeah. doesn't really solve anything because it still means that any deal would have to involve everybody so basically yeah. it makes it just as bad as it already was it's like yeah everybody would have to agree to a deal for something to happen yeah which so. I, I hate to say this i'm not overly optimistic about them you know sitting down and ironing out an idea but hey you know what maybe it'll happen it know. could happen we already have 40 Jason movies, though, if you want to watch the ones that are here. <laughs> Trust me, I, I mean, wish so... there was 40 of them. I would, like, gladly <laughs> take 40 of those movies anytime. We watch those a lot. I, I, I grew up a massive Halloween fan and still am, but over recent years, for some reason, we've, we've 
started like rewatching the Friday Thirteenth series a lot more often, and I've grown to really appreciate those a lot more than I used to. So, yeah, I got to um, know what your favorite one is. Friday Thirteenth. Yeah. Six. So All right. Jason, That's that is, in my opinion, the right answer because. I would say four is probably the definitive Friday the Thirteenth, but six is probably the most entertaining and rewatchable. Yeah, six and is I know the it's Frankenstein probably kind one. of a little bit. It, it's a little bit format breaking or tonally breaking in mm -hmm. a sense, but it's definitely my favorite. Yeah, three is like a close second. Ooh. Um, yeah. So three is. I've grown to appreciate three over time, even though, like, very. I think I've only ever seen it twice with the three D effects, but. Even without it, I'll, I'll still watch it. Yeah, I don't think I've, I've, I don't think I've ever seen that with the 3D. That would be interesting. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, back to Day of the Dead. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> best line. Does anyone have a favorite line from this movie? Choke on it. I mean, that yeah, that's which is an ad lib. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, that's it's hard to beat that one. It's sad that it's not a Romero written line that I that I'm like, oh, that's my favorite. But it's just, it's so defiant. It's so within character for him to like. He's dying. He's getting torn apart, and he's just like, choke on it, you fucks. You know, <laughs> like, I, there's just something about it. And yeah, I, I'd love to play pay tribute to the master, but you got to give it to the actor on that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I also wrote down uh, the character John. He had a line at some point when they're in the their little bunker area. Uh, he's talking about, you want some kind of explanation down here before you leave? Here's one as good as any you're likely to find. We're being punished by the creator. He visited mm -hmm. a curse on us so that man could look at what hell was like. That was pretty good. I like that one, too. Mm. Again, it lends to Romero's... I, I mean, because... He of course there's the the brilliant monologue in in Dawn of the Dead as well. Like he just he can write these grandiose operatic lines that are yeah. just like the dead will walk the earth. Like he just he had that in him, and mm -hmm. it's one of the things I love about him. I think if I had to throw one more in, I just occurred. She reminded me with John. I I love the character of John because he really he basically serves as like our philosophical like. Mm -hmm point person for like here's how to take a look at all this stuff and he has his big speech but i like when he's walking away the one part where uh that she's saying we're all going in different directions and he does the thing of people got different ideas concerning what they want out of life <laughs> and i just love that whole thing <laughs> i also great. love his insane accent that he put on for it but, <laughs> oh yeah where is that where is he from <laughs> well he's supposed to be doing like a jamaican accent but i mean the actor is like that's not his accent he's putting out no. very, yeah. it's a very cartoonish version of yeah. it it's so pleasant i really need to like, know how many takes they did until they're finally like you know what like this is as good as it's gonna get We're yeah just gonna <laughs> yeah. so yeah I, just, um, I like him a lot there's a part where taurus asked you find anything and john says yeah prime real estate at closeout prices and i had a good laugh at that <laughs> mm, yeah <laughs> Uh, best performance. Oh, there's there's some good performances in this. Um, I really of... like Laurie Carville, but uh, I mean Bob. Yeah. It, it just it's yeah. It's just I don't know. Like any time that you have to emote through through being something that isn't supposed to be emotive, like that's yes. that's powerful stuff. 
Mm-hmm. I think yeah. his best moment is the part where he finds uh, Logan dead. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I never get tired of watching his face. He goes through such an amazing, it's like watching a puppy. I mean, really, that's part of it. I, I think he's talked about that. I mean, it's, it's very much like a pet, you know, mm-hmm. the way he's, mm-hmm. his relationship. And then the way his face goes from, I'm so happy to see you. You're the one I'm looking for to wait a minute. Why aren't you? Oh my God. And he does all that in like 30 seconds and it's incredible. Yeah. You just want to give him a hug. Yeah. (laughs) You care so much about this in a person. And it's, I think it would be like the, the, the triumvirate here for great performances are him and Joe Pilato's Rhodes. Yes. Like this task, you know, you, you talk about great villains, but very often you don't think about the fact that the person has to play a terrible person. Yeah. He's great. And Richard Liberty as Logan is just amazing, like nuanced mad scientist in this. Mm-hmm. I went with Joseph uh, Pilato. And I just got to take a little bit of Umbrint's letterbox list, um, his most popular movies, and they have Pulp Fiction in front of this. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but no, no, no. no. I disagree. Like, I actually forgot he was in Pulp Fiction. hundred percent, because I'm, he's like in it for like a second. <laughs> yeah, not... I'm like, I, I, okay, sure. Pulp Fiction's a more popular movie, but popular mm-hmm. for Joseph Pilato's performance? Eh, no, not not. Even. That's when an algorithm fails you, because yeah, they're yeah. just doing that because that's the movie that's popular, not yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah. Any other performances strike out as being noteworthy? Yeah. I could say Gary Clark, who does uh, Private Steel. Oh, yeah. Um, he's also excellent. I think he just died recently, too. And, um, um, yeah, just last year. But um, we've lost a few people from this movie at this yeah. point. Pilato also. Yeah, um, yeah, but uh, Clara's great, and again, it's because he has to, he has to play a flat out racist, awful human being that you have to hate. Yeah, yeah. and mm-hmm. apparently he was a great guy to work with. So it's mm-hmm. like you know, it's a well, tough game. And and even Steele gets one scene where he he is a little more human when he has to. I think he has to kill one of his friends or something like that, and and he yeah. goes through some emotions, and it almost makes mm-hmm. you go, oh, he's. Maybe he's not a terrible. Maybe this will change him, and then he kind of still is an asshole. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah. So there is there's a little more nuance to that character, even though he is mainly just a racist asshole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the thing the thing that's really great about like kind of focusing on the the actors and the best performances of this is that Romero loved actors. Like he loved, he loved actors and nuance and all that deep stuff. Cause I mean, he, I mean, at night of the living day, he pulled from state from stage actors and everything. And like, he was really fascinated with the craft. So that the fact that he would allow them to kind of make wide arcs in, in their performances and stuff adds to also the ensemble of, of how well the, his movies can work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Day of the Dead, I think, is uh, very, very heavy on the ensemble. And uh, honestly, all in the end, and not to say that she does a bad, uh, you know, the worst job, but it strengthens uh, Laurie Carville as well. Mm-hmm. She asked, I mean, you know, I was reading, I forget now about what, something totally different. I was reading about another movie and I was talking with somebody about, it was like kind of a, like a one note performance, but we were talking, I can't remember what it is. 
we were talking about the fact that it's supposed to be a person who's kind of like shell shocked, so it makes mm -hmm. sense. And they got like PTSD. Yeah. It's a tough it's a tough line for an actor because the point is you don't want it to be boring for the audience, but also a person does shut down sometimes. So I feel like a lot of Lori Cardell's performance, even in the midst of being physically and emotionally threatened and she's embattled, she's kind of often monotone, but I think it's there's a point to that. Like she is mm -hmm. so completely broken down at this point. She's just barely holding it together. And I, I'd like to think that give credit to her for that was a choice rather than, than you know, just not engaging with it. I think yeah. that's the point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like they don't see sunlight. They they probably can't sleep correctly without having these like crazy nightmares. Yeah. Like life is not good. And mm -hmm. so day after day, week after week of that has got to erode you. And, and I think mm -hmm. she shows that quite well. Again, how familiar they're all. They're all in <laughs> lockdown together, and you know, yeah. it's kind of tedious after it is. a while. It is. Yeah. So yeah. Not that far off from reality. <laughs> At least the twisted one we're in right now. Um, yeah. Best kill. I mean, I went with uh, Pilato. I, yeah, I mean, Rhodes. That's yeah. my favorite. Yeah. I don't see how you can really. Yeah. I, I mean, that's that's the one. I mean, yeah. I, even if you haven't seen it, you know of it. Yeah, as a yeah, horror yeah. fan, even if it's, uh, any sort of horror fan, you know of it. Like it's like it's one of those icons, it's one of those those benchmarks in horror that of a guy essentially getting torn to pieces. I mean, they've done they did it in Shaun of the Dead. They, yeah, they, I mean they that mimicked that it. Scene has been adapted so many times. I just mm -hmm. saw uh, Anna the Anna the Apocalypse recently. We did that. Ah, uh, yes. And they also did a version of it. It's like everybody's got to do the Rhodes death if you're doing. Yeah. They I don't want to presume in... or not presume, but does everybody know the behind the scenes little tidbit about that? You guys know that part? No. I'm not sure. oh, I've, I've watched all the in depth uh, special okay. features on this one. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot of that performance just comes from being in a room full of actual, like, guts and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's amazing, and the horrid stench of it, and like, yeah, ugh, yeah. <laughs> but heck, I'll even say that Alejandra Aya used that tear apart scene in his Crocodile movie as well recently. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, uh, crawl. There's a scene that's almost, Ooh. yeah, very close to it. And the thing is, too, even in this movie, there was a few scenes where people were being eaten and ripped apart. So. The fact that there's a few like this, but you still get that one that just really just pops out and stands out. Like, yeah, it, it almost gets to the point where you see roads getting ripped apart. You're like, oh, OK, I've seen this before. And then you're like, no, <laughs> actually, they <laughs> they they just throw in just a little bit extra on Rhodes' death, which I think just kind of like shot it above the rest for me. Because, yeah, I think um Rickles, I think his name was, was also ripped apart mm -hmm. too. So, uh, same with Salazar and Torres. So, I mean, it, it's not like it's a overly unique kill in and of itself, but it's just the execution was so interesting. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It says a lot that that's a sequence that you know everybody feels they have to pay homage to. You mm -hmm. know, decades later. What about you, Taylor? Did you have a favorite kill? I mean, it was definitely 
roads but there i feel like there's also something to say for the way that steel died too because he was kind of the big loud rough and tough macho man throughout the whole thing and then in the end he literally can't face the zombies and he ends up killing himself which i Mm -hmm. think is very interesting for his character um especially considering um there were lines all throughout of oh well if you're not here what are you going to do they're they're running around crazy up there you're not going to be able to take them so what what other choice do we have but to stay down here and that was basically that taste of that (laughs) Mm -hmm. um yeah i mean his death almost in the end seemed a little anticlimactic considering how boisterous his character was but i think it was kind of also fitting yeah Every time I watch his death scene, too, I always think about that's some bravery on the part of the actor because I could never imagine anyone being comfortable enough, and it happens a lot in movies, to actually put a prop gun in your mouth. Mm, yeah. yeah. I mean, especially now, like, you know, there's the recent incident uh, on that one movie of Alec Baldwin, and then there's, like, there's mm. the famous stuff, like, John Eric Hexum was an actor, and, like, shot himself with a gun that had blanks in it. And I'm thinking, I don't care how many times you check one of those guns, I wouldn't do that. No. Yeah. no. He just goes ahead and does it, and they got the explosives on the back of his head, and it's like, that's braver than I would be. Yeah. Do, do that yeah. shot. Oh, 100%. So. Um, all right. Uh, dumbest decision in this movie. Is there any decisions that were just... <laughs> exceptionally uh, stupid i, I mean think, oh i'm sorry go ahead oh no i was just gonna say every zombie movie i see just the dumbest decision seems to be trusting the military but <laughs> yeah sure. not it's, specific to this movie i guess <laughs> or, like or fiction versus reality either um <laughs> i think in some respects for me i feel like there's a dumb decision in this movie that's like the definitive one like Rhodes is the definitive death scene and um, uh, that's just Salazar opening the thing, you know, mm-hmm. opening the big um, like platform at the end to let them all in. It's just like it's yeah. the definitive example of you always have the weak link in your group that's going to cause the third act crisis in yeah. any of these movies. <laughs> And his is like one of, I still love, that's one of my favorite shots in the movie mm-hmm. is the shot of all the zombie extras all coming down on that thing and and the first one trips off of it and there's just a great shot. But that's just the epitome of stupid. And Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, yeah. I, I had that down too because I'm like, I mean, you basically don't have your third act without that. And no. It, it's kind of typical in a zombie movie, and I feel like sometimes we watch these movies and we're like, well, there was not really a dumb decision. But even in zombie movies, there's usually at least one decision where it's just like, okay, you've literally doomed everybody. <laughs> that mm-hmm. was it. Where I was just like, yeah, yeah you, you've screwed everyone over. Yeah, I would go with that one. Salazar on the platform. It was like that was like the intention of the character the entire time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> was to make that really shitty decision that sets up the third act. Mm. Cool. Well, I think it's time to rate this movie. What's everyone thinking for a score? Um, I'll go first. Um, I, this is a nine out of ten for me. I really, really, really dig this movie. Uh, I did from the first time I saw it. And I, I knew I knew I was a little too young at the time to get everything it was saying, but I knew that it was saying a lot. Um, and I, I, I think that I 
I think that Romero is most connected to this one. I know a lot of people love to connect him more to the Dawn of the Dead and everything. But I think this is such a huge part of his oeuvre. And yeah, I, I love this movie. Nice. Um, yeah. Oh, what do you think of first score? I usually don't do scores. It's always hard for me to think in terms of numbers. <laughs> but I think if I had to do it, I guess I would put this maybe at like 7 or 8 out of 10. Okay. And and I think that's partly just influenced by I'm also thinking of if our if our rating this in comparison with the other two in the first trilogy, naturally I'd be putting those higher. Mm -hmm. So this would probably be like 7 or 8, but I mean I still basically agree qualitatively. I still think it's it's a fantastic piece of work and I enjoy it and like I said I enjoy it much more now than I used to even. Mm -hmm. So, um, I guess, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. I, I was thinking an eight as well. I mean, the movie is good. I think, uh, the one area where, where I kind of dock it the most is I feel like mm -hmm. the likability of the human characters, like it, it's just not nearly where it's at. I don't sympathize with the human characters in this as much as some of the other zombie movies. Uh, particularly mm -hmm. the Romero zombie movies. Uh, you know. That being said, I think Bub is where your sympathies are supposed to lie, but I feel like I could have mm -hmm. just used a little bit more sympathy with the human characters, just like just slightly more so to make me kind of root for them. Uh, you know, as much as I enjoyed Bub and rooting for him, I was like, I kind of just wanted somebody on the human side of things for me to root for a little bit more. So. Yeah, that's why I was thinking like a seven or an eight too. Mostly just because it felt like um, obviously there are some bigger themes and stories going on overall in this movie, but the individual characters didn't necessarily get their own stories completely fleshed out. It felt like, or or there wasn't a lot of depth to the the like the main character stories, um, other than just we're in a tough situation and we need to try and get out of it. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know. It just felt like there could have been something a little more to like pull us into. Yeah. Maybe pull us into the characters or at least the, the couple of main ones that we are following throughout the whole movie. Mm -hmm. um, but I did. Yeah. I, I liked the, the bubs. I liked Rhodes. There was a, a lot of great gore and effects in this movie. Mm -hmm. um, it's just a good zombie movie. And I think I honestly really like the, the fact that this comes third in the series and that we've kind of followed a trajectory of the zombie apocalypse happens and, and now we're looking at kind of the after effects that, you know, way further into the actual apocalypse. Um, mm -hmm. I, I just kind of like the way that they've set up this world and, and everything and that adds a little bit to my score. So I think I'm going to uh, go with an eight, uh, like Kurt. Awesome. So um, we're going to do Land of the Dead now, right? We kind of have to now. Because we've right. done night, we did. We have to, we have to see the zombies evolve. This is true. We have to see Big Daddy. <laughs> I mean, if the we next, really the to... next Romero focus, Big Daddy, Big with the Machine Gun. I mean, if we want to really torture ourselves, we can watch the sci-fi Day of the Dead series. Which no, thank you. Don't do that to yourself. No, thank you. <laughs> There's even also a remake that Steve Miner made. I think in 2006. Yeah. That's just. Mm. Because Ving Rames is in it. It's just, oh, God, it's so bad. Yeah. And also there's a new production that's coming along now that um, has brought back Laurie Cardell um, and uh, Terry Alexander and Jarlath Conroy. 
Sarah, John, and Bill. They're, I don't think they're playing the same characters theoretically because I think they're trying to skirt some things, but the three of them are in a new zombie movie coming along. So, yeah, um, yeah like a Day of the Dead semi-sequel kind of something or other. But They definitely recruited all of them at a, one convention together. Yes. We <laughs> <laughs> walked up to them after a panel. It's like, hey, guys, <laughs> Ten bucks and a sandwich, and we'll shoot you for day. <laughs> Ten bucks and a sandwich. We don't have craft services, but we do have the right. we do have this sandwich. You bring the bread, <laughs> we'll bring the bologna. <laughs> One of the grips brought it. Awesome. <laughs> well, Arnold, people can find you on Twitter. Uh, your Twitter handle is just—it's one of the better Twitter Twitter handles I've ever seen. It's at Doctor of the Dead, which is just That's awesome. Me. Uh, and then, like you said, you have ATB Publishing, where uh, you have your book on the 100 Years of Zombie Cinema, Journey of the Living Dead, among many others. So definitely would recommend people check that out. I might have to nab a couple books just because as a big fan of the zombie cinema, I definitely need to awesome. get a little bit more educated on that kind of stuff. So I uh, definitely would recommend our listeners check out your uh, publishing there. Thank uh, you. Steve, where can people find you on the Internet? Yeah, uh, I am at the Steeple Dead on both uh, Twitter and Instagram, and I'm also that on Letterboxd, where um, you know how you were talking about how you got kind of review like bombed for I forget what review you were saying on Letterboxd. It constantly picks up reviews, uh, likes. Oh, oh uh, I will I will be long dead, and people will still be leaving likes on my Dunkirk review. Which there we go, Dunkirk. Yeah. The, I have mine now because oh, yeah. I only reviewed it a week ago and I'm already at like 60 and climbing right now. It's The House, which is on Netflix right now. Uh, it's, a, it's a stop animation uh, animated film that uh, actually surprised me. I really dug it. It's really creepy and insidious. Uh, and I actually, the second, because it's three short stories, the second one is almost... Uh, Kafka-esque to me like it's super like it reminds me of metamorphosis quite a bit mm. uh, but apparently people are picking up on that I even think people knew that that film existed but I guess they liked my review so that's weird for me um, otherwise uh, I am on uh, the shift with Shane Hewitt uh, across Canada uh, at 11 p.m. Pacific time given all my reviews and stuff uh, actually but January doesn't really have that many big releases in it so it's been a little it's been a little dry yeah. uh and yeah uh, my website stevestebbing.ca nice taylor where can people find you on the internet uh mostly on instagram or on twitch my username is techronomicon i don't stream anything super exciting right now because my computer is kind of garbage um but when i do it's usually on friday nights i'll play video games or do something artsy or something like that Hmm. uh and that's pretty much it i do have a twitter and some other things as well but i never use them so i should just stop plugging them (laughs) yeah i mean like sometimes i just feel like twitter is either a place of pure hatred and vitriol or it's like i log in and like i'll see something cool i'll be like oh that's exciting but most of the time it's like how dare you give this movie such a bad score like i gave (laughs) licorice pizza an eight out of ten and people were rioting and saying how (laughs) how dare i give 
the latest Paul Thomas Anderson masterpiece, an eight out of ten. And I'm like, well, that's just the way it goes. Mm. I also find I'm sometimes not one for brevity and that stuff, so I just can't limit myself to whatever characters a tweet is. I need to like write a full <laughs> like ass article about something to get my feelings out, you know? <laughs> it's like these people who like tweet out like screen caps of their notes that they took because it's just like it's it's well beyond the limit. Like, like yeah, that yeah. that would be me. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm over at, at Twitter, Film Critic Kurt. Uh, I haven't been doing too much radio stuff lately. Uh, I will be doing a review of Joe Bob's Valentine's Day special for that hashtag show. So go check that out when that's up, because that'll be a fun time. Uh, and then uh, I'm also at 3 where you're presumably listening to this and other podcasts of ours. Uh, yeah, as Steve said, it's a bit of a dead zone right now. It's Scream, and then in uh, well, Jackass little, Forever, it's little the next more than one. a week, Jackass Forever, and please do buy a ticket so that my residuals check comes in at a half <laughs> amount. I'm kidding, well, not really, but yeah, go watch that movie because it's a lot of fun and there's a lot of cool sketches in it. And you know what? I have said to a few people that I think the healing power of humor is what will maybe help our lives get a little bit brighter so go check that out that's in theaters uh i want to say february 4th february 4th yeah. yeah so go check that out and with that said we'll see you all next time bye for now